Uh, this is the forum on um, Zion's Harp number 90. Midlife's anguish, I am not complaining. Overcoming the challenges of middle age. Generally, when we talk about this time period, uh, there are no definite dates. The, uh, I believe the brothers, when they first set up the forum, indicated like 35 to 50. And I thought that was a little young. And I, you know, if this is middle age goes to 50, where am I at being halfway through the next, I mean, through that decade? So it's like, so I stretched it out. Most of the times it would be 40 to 60 years of age. And typically, we don't even talk in the field about old age until people get in their 80s, really, these days. I mean, a 75-year-old person uh, today is a lot different than the 75-year-old at the turn of the last century, at the beginning of the last century. Well, we often think of this time period associated with gray hair, wrinkles, reading glasses, signals that the biological clock is indicating that life is moving on. In fact, it is half over or more than half over. That there has been more time lived, I've got more past, than I have in the future. More time I've used than time I have left yet to live. People in their 40s may wonder if it's too late to change the plot of their lives. I'm going in a certain direction. Is this the direction I have to follow from here on out? Both sexes typically give feelings to the expression of generativity, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. Uh, but males and females talk about being productive in this particular time of life. Also, it's a time when people begin to create a legacy for those who will come after them. They begin to think in regard to future generations and what they will be leaving behind for that generation. The seasons of life. Typically, they're broken down like this. You look at different ones and it, um, they break them down differently. But typically, spring, springtime of the year is associated with childhood and youth. Summertime, young adulthood. You know, springtime, renewal, uh, growth, um, things coming back to life after a hard and long winter, and so on. Fall, the middle age group, and winter, of course, old age. Um, I didn't, I, I purposely picked the brown background and the leaves to indicate fall, since that's the time of life that we're talking about. So uh, typically, even in biblical terms, that particular harvest time would be associated with the uh, fall season, of course, or with uh, midlife. For many years in the field of psychology, there has been talk about something called a midlife crisis. You've probably heard about it or perhaps even experienced aspects of it yourself. When we talk about a crisis, we're basically talking about a lifelong process of growth. The idea is that we really never fully grow up, that we are always on the way that life is a journey, there are various stopping points along the way, there are various advancing points, but we never really get there. And of course, the there part is hard to define in terms of the world standards. And in a lesson that we had um, uh, Monday, I believe it was, we talked about the fullness of Christ in our class being the goal for the Christian. And uh, that may be what we want to uh, uh, spend some time with here this afternoon, too. That we are always on the way. We have never fully arrived and accomplished everything that there is in that particular stage of life. Um, stages deal with a common sequential pattern, that there are a typical pattern of things that people deal with. I would guess that most of us here who are in midlife are dealing with some similar kinds of issues. Older folks in the group that Brother Bob spoke to Monday, yeah, Monday, <laughs> um, dealing with the older age, most of their children are gone and left the family. The nest is empty. For many of us, we've still got some 
in the nest and some have left home and so we've got a combination so we're not quite at the same point most of us have not retired although that would be an issue and financial considerations are important in terms of preparing for the future so those are some of the things that are fairly common to us and the booklet listed some of the others uh, here too growing in our marriage job and career crises aging parents church responsibilities financial planning and so on the idea of a crisis implies some kind of creative tension that we need to resolve and it results in some kind of growth. Uh, this idea of tension, that there are two opposing forces, you might say. That's a very biblical kind of concept. The Apostle Paul talked about not being the kind of person he knows he should be and what he doesn't want to do, he ends up doing and vice versa. There's that contrast or tension between what the flesh wants and what the spirit wants. So think of that tension and that contrast and what one's challenge is during all phases of life on that particular issue. But there are some things that are kind of unique to middle age that have the same kind of tension quality to them and depending upon how we resolve those things, depending on what we choose to do or choose not to do, will have implications for how we grow and develop from there. Going through a particular stage or a crisis better prepares us to deal with that phase of life and what follows. We can handle middle age better if we handle middle age issues now. And we can handle middle age issues now if we did a pretty good job of handling um, young adulthood responsibilities well. And we can handle young adulthood responsibilities better if we've handled uh, youth and adolescent challenges better and so on and so on backwards. In other words, what's done today has implications for tomorrow. Because if we don't solve things at our particular point in life, we will reap the consequences. I was going to say benefits. It would be nice if they were all benefits. But we'll reap the consequences in older age. And just take financial considerations for a moment. We should be concerned about uh, finances. Not because we want to get rich. Not because we want to have a lot of money. Maybe we want to leave a legacy to our children, but you can even make an argument against that sort of thing. But primarily because most of us, most of you, will live 20, 30 years after retirement. Where's the money going to come for that? And decisions that we make now, in fact, decisions that we made 20 and 30 years ago, will have implications for that particular stage uh, of our life. So handling the crises that we deal with in middle age will better prepare us for this particular point in life and for what follows. The last principle I want to mention here is that fully living in the present stage is what our challenge is. We should not be looking backwards and saying, oh, if I could only live my youth over again. And so we cut our hair and wear clothes and drive cars that and, and, and do the kinds of things that young people do, kind of idolizing that period of time. From a psychological standpoint, that's not healthy. From a spiritual standpoint, I don't think that's healthy. We can talk about being a babe or a young person in Christ, and it's good to go back to remember where you came from, but to build upon that is the challenge for us. Um, and uh, fully living in the present stage. The past is over and done. The future is yet to come, if we're going to see it at all. And um, so the only thing we really have in that regard is the present. The challenge for this particular stage of life is something called generativity versus stagnation. Generativity, think of it as a type of productivity. It's a doing kind of orientation. It is a positive, forward-looking kind of style. It's making provision for the future. It's leaving this legacy, whether that legacy be uh, in terms of family issues, or traditions, whether it be uh, monetary or financial, whether it be uh, the church in which one is uh, a part of. I mean, for many of us, it is important that our children not only grow up in the apostolic Christian church, but that they get baptized in this church and <laughs> that they stay in this church. 
And that's the kind of legacy that many of us would like to leave for our children. It meant something very dear to us and means presently something dear to us. We would like them to have that same legacy and to experience it and perhaps experience it even better than what we experienced it. The challenge is how to be productive and not become stagnant. And that stagnant is a real big issue. I mean, I, I, and I jotted just a few of those things down in marriage. What do you do to keep a marriage fresh after 30 years of marriage or 20 years of marriage? I suspect those in the audience, and I don't know everybody and how long you've been married, but I would guess it's between 25 and 30 years for most who are here who are married. Not everybody. Um, but for a number of you. Now it's easy to keep marriage fresh and vibrant and exciting when you're 25 and you've been married for two years. Maybe it's even easy when you've done it for 10 years. But what do you do for 20 and 30 years? And we're not even moving into old age at this point, but that's one of the challenges of midlife is to keep things productive, interesting, vibrant, as opposed to stagnating. And what difference does it make? It's more of the same. The daily grind, the daily routine. I get up in the morning, I eat my breakfast, I go to work, I put in my eight hours or ten hours, I turn around and come home and I um, do whatever I typically do in the evenings and start the next day doing that again and again for days on end, for weeks on end, for months on end, for years on end. How do, you, how do you keep the job fresh? Our culture has some ways of dealing with that. We'll, we'll get into that perhaps if uh, uh, you'd like to talk about it, but uh, that is certainly one of the issues. What about in our spiritual life? We fall into routines, we get into patterns. I mean, how many times can you read the story of the Good Samaritan? Most of you have had it from the time of a child. Would you estimate that you've probably dealt with it between preachers, preaching on it, Sunday school reviewing it, um, inspiration hours talking about it, 50 times in your lifetime, 75 times in your lifetime? How many? I don't know. Many, many for sure. How do we keep that fresh? How do we keep it productive so it affects positively what you and I do or how we handle, as a father, our children, or uh, what the prodigal did, and what the older son didn't do. I mean, what is the lesson in that? And is that lesson still applicable to me at my time of life? Probably so. He was probably a middle-aged father. I don't know if he may have been an old man, but certainly his son was old enough to say, I know what's mine, and give it to me, and I'm on my way. How do you keep spiritual life being productive as opposed to stagnant, not growing, not spending time in the Word, not praying, or, or getting into such a routine that you don't know whether you've done it or not, it has no impact on your daily living, and so on. And our church life, same thing. Week after week after, how many services have you been to? Lots of them, I'm sure. <laughs> we have three on Sunday in Norton, and we've got one in the middle of the week. That's four a week, and you multiply that. Of course, we don't go to absolutely every single one. Sometimes on vacation, we're not there. But the point being, how do you keep church life vibrant? How do you keep it productive? How do you handle the tension between moving forward and holding things back and, and you know, what makes it interesting, not just for young people, but for you? For a newly converted person, most of that is interesting and new to them. For us who have been through it for many, many years, what do we do to keep it productive, to use the challenges in a positive way, to grow from it, and so on? Oftentimes we are stretched with overwhelming possibilities. I got an email regarding this forum. Um, Syracuse, I believe, put the 
forum program together and got the topics and so on. And uh, Brother Rod Cook wrote me an email about this idea of being etched. Being at midlife, being at a point in your life where everybody wants a piece of you. Everybody wants you to do something. So you get stretched at work. More hours, more time. I mean, many of the people that I deal with, a 40-hour work week is almost a thing of the past. It was predicted years ago, 60s, 70s, the computers were going to make our life easier. Uh, computers were going to cut down on paper. Computers were, we were going to work shorter weeks. They were talking about 32 work, 32-hour work week. I'm one of the fortunate ones that only has to put in 40 or a few more over. And no Saturdays and Sundays. And I thank the Lord for that because of family and church considerations. But it's just gone in the opposite direction. Work wants more and more from us. I mean, I know people, I talked to a man not too long ago who absolutely refused and told his boss that he was going to shut his beeper off during church on Sunday morning from 10 to 12. His boss expected him to have that on. And if that thing went off during the service, he was expected to answer it. He didn't even want to have to get up and walk out with that thing beeping. He wanted two hours of his work week, excuse me, of his week that he could devote to church and not be bothered by the impingements of the world. Talk about being stretched. So you get stretched from work. The community wants a piece of you too because oftentimes they want people to volunteer and to participate. Uh, the church oftentimes wants a piece of us. Those in the ministry or if you're teaching and other things, you get stretched. It's been said that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. So you look in your church, look at the number of members, take 20% of them and say, are these the people who do the work? Yes. And it's prob they probably do 80% of the work. And if you want something done, who do you give it to? Somebody who's already busy. And they get further and further stretched. And then you've got families. We talked to, had a forum this morning on fatherhood and spending time. Time was the number one issue that came up in that forum. Spending time with our, where, where's that going to come from? Stretched. Where's the breaking point? One can get overwhelmed with the number of possibilities and opportunities and good things that you can get involved in. But what are the priorities? At what point do you say no? At what point do you limit what you get involved in so you can do a better job of the few things that you have committed to? Being sandwiched. Some of you, I suspect in here, this is not true of me. My parents are gone. But some of you were probably sandwiched between aging parents and children and grandchildren with needs at both ends of the continuum. Needs for your children and their children, your grandchildren, and needs for aging parents. And the potential for conflict there is very, very great. Where does your allegiance lie? Does it lie to your, your parents or to your children or to both? And here we got another stretching kind of factor in here, another kind of challenge, a tension that says, how am I supposed to do all of these things? How can I be at two places at once? How can I take care of my children and at the same time an aging parent? And as people live longer, that will happen more and more frequently. To everything there's a season. We know that biblical adage, and I'll put some of the others of those on the board, but all seasons of life are not chronological. We talked about uh, spring, summer, winter, fall, and winter, kind of in a chronological order. But not all of the seasons are that way. Some happen earlier in life, some happen later. Uh, somebody may be in the season of parenting, for example, and I suspect many of us still are, although my parenting responsibilities have greatly diminished. They've taken on a much different shape and much different form than with the strollers and uh, baby chairs and things I see uh, around camp uh, this week. And for some people, that particular issue is not an issue at all because there is no parenting for the single brother or sister. There's a time to be born, a time to die. We know the time to be born. I mean, we identify that and we even celebrate that time of birth. That's well known. 
And obviously that's chronological. Uh, it's related to age. But the die part is something that's in the hands of the Lord. We don't know when that happens. For some it happens sooner. For some others it happens later. Which of the various issues that the Bible talks about are bound by time? A time to be born? Well, that's, that's clearly related to time. A time to die? Sure. Uh, planting is typically done in the springtime. Harvesting is typically done in the fall, although if we're plucking up weeds, that can be done just about any time, I guess. When is the time to, to kill or the time to heal? And if we had a sick child, it would be great to have the time to heal in their youth. A time to weep, a time to laugh. Many of these things are not bound by any particular point in time. They are not necessarily middle age issues. They're not necessarily old age issues. They are something that everybody at one time or another will probably have to deal with. A time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. The seasons of life beyond our control. Quotation here from Daniel chapter 2 verse 21, and he changeth, meaning God, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Seasons of life are often confusing. No man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Ecclesiastes 3.11. Parents with sick, chronically or terminally ill children, we heard in yesterday afternoon's forum, often ask those questions. Why? Why did God let this happen? Why me? And those are things that we can't answer, nor should we pretend to. God has purpose to our season. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We often quote the first part of that verse, but not the last part, that we need to be called according to his purpose as opposed to my purpose. Seasons include both good and bad events in life, a time to be born, positive, a time to die, generally considered negative, a time to heal, uh, and so on, positive things. I indicated, first of all, good and bad, but from a biblical standpoint, we'd probably say that they're all good, that they all have their time, that each is beautiful in its own way. I mean, gathering stones and casting away stones, is that good or bad? I don't know. That's putting a moral uh, value on it. On the other hand, it may have positive benefits. Gathering stones, um, Abraham did that to build an altar on which he was going to sacrifice his son. And memorials were made uh, after crossing the Jordan. Stones were gathered. And other times, uh, stones are spread in different directions. Another principle of the idea of seasons of life is that what is sown in one season is reaped in another season. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Talk about a verse that is important to stretched people. Talk about a verse that can help an individual continue dealing with the challenges of life, the challenges of spiritual growth, commitment to the church, and so on. It is easy to become weary in well-doing. It sounds great in principle, but when you have to do it and continually do it and give more, more time to work and more time to church and more time to family, you can become weary pretty quickly. And one of the risks is what? Just casting it all away. Just, and, and people do that. In this world, it's a very common pattern of people just leaving situations, just walking off. That's certainly not anything that we would uh, want to even think of in our spiritual uh, life, but the idea of weariness is a difficult one. 
how to make the most of each season. What can I learn from this season of life? What I'm going through in my life, whether it is the fact that I'm in a, a particular age category now, or something that I'm dealing with in life, what can I learn from this? Or is the lesson that is there to be learned going to be wasted on me because it's over my head, I don't see it, it passes by, I'm not looking for it, I just want to get through it. What can I learn as a consequence of what I've gone through? For I have learned, this is what the Apostle said, Philippians 4.11, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Can I be content in that situation? Can I be content in what God has put or allowed or brought into or taken away from my life? Can I deal with that? I may not be able to deal with it, but he has learned this. God has given him the strength to do it. What can I enjoy in this season? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. There have been some things in my life I still have a hard time thanking God for them. But what I have done was during those walk through the valley of the shadow of death experience, thanked God for what blessings I did have with my children who were with me, with other family members who were there, with a very supportive and loving church that provided for many of my needs and provided the encouragement and support during that very, what I consider, dark time. Did I enjoy that season? Not at all. But there were things I could still say, thank God for his faithfulness. That even though I can't see him, can't feel him, sometimes one, I know he's there. He's there. He's with me. Even as I walk through that valley of the shadow of death. In everything, giving thanks. What's important for this season? What is it that I should really be focusing on? Walk circumspectly as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Focus on the important things. Let the little things go. How can I help others in this season of life? How can others who have or are having the same difficulty I am or the same challenges with their children that I am or dealing with issues in the church or their lack of spiritual growth or a need to spend more time in prayer, how can I help others in this particular season? Withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Proverbs 3.27 God helps us grow through the seasons of life. He's ultimately in control of these and many other things. Loss, waiting, success. I was going to put failure in there and I thought, no, that's probably something that we have more control over. Maybe God brings about those failures also. We're in different seasons of life. We go through all of them, or at least most of them, but we go through them at different times. An individual who is, you know, 90 years old uh, is in a later season than somebody who's 40. And yet if that 40-year-old dies at 48, and the 98-year-old dies, well, that's 90-year-old dies at 100, the 40-year-old is actually further into life season than the elderly person is. And, and, you know, where's the halfway point in life? Well, you could take the age at which a person dies, cut it in half, and you can say that's middle, roughly age 40. Yet if somebody dies at age 40, the halfway point is actually 20. That's very different. We'll go through them at different times. The question, the ultimate question is, how do we grow through the seasons of life and not just go through them? The point is not, how do we just get through those teenage years of our children? But the point is, how do we grow through those teenage years with our children? How do I grow as a consequence of that experience? Yeah, my children are going to grow, I hope, I pray, and that will be fairly evident in their lives. But the challenge is, how will I grow? Or am I going to stagnate and hold back and keep treating them like I treated them when they were six and eight and ten years of age? And now they've got minds and, of their own. 
and they've got wheels and many other things that they can use. How am I going to deal with that? And how will I have to grow and change and adapt to handle that in a way that doesn't turn them off to me as a parent, that doesn't turn them off to faith issues, that doesn't turn them off to the church, and, and so on. How do I grow through the seasons of life and not just get through them? How does that creative tension and conflict essential to human growth affect our spiritual growth? The challenges that one may face at work in terms of putting in more time, more ex the expectations are higher, uh, the creative tension there between being productive versus stagnating, how does that impact our spiritual life? And kind of make some mental notes of these things or write, jot them down because we'll come back to them and discuss them. How can we fully live in this time of life? Or do you just want to get through it? Well, if the goal is to just get through it, we're not preparing ourselves very well for the next stage, for the challenges in some ways will even be greater than those that we've had thus far. How can we fully live at this point in time? We did that. At any moment, our potential is greater than what it seems to be. Our potential is greater than what it seems to be. More can be done, not necessarily in terms of involvement, but more can be done that would be positive, that would foster our growth as Christians, as parents, as marriage partners, uh, as friends, what have you. Are we becoming more self-aware? We are called to increase our awareness. It's an interesting concept. When you're young, we are basically outer-directed. That is to say, the issues that we have to deal with are basically external to us. Our parents tell us what to do, our parents dress us, our parents feed us, and we are externally oriented. We're told when we get into you know, those childhood years what we can do and what we can't do, and we go to church and you dress the kids and you haul them off to church whether they want to go or not. Inner-directed. As we get older, we become, excuse me, outer-directed. As we become older, we should become more inner-directed, that we make those choices and we take more control over those environmental factors that would kind of mold us into their way of thinking. And sometimes this becomes all too painfully apparent uh, when a teenager says, I'm not going to church, I'm not getting up, I'm not going. That's an interdirected response. It's not something that the parent can force, or they may be able to force it for a while, but it just simply puts off the inevitable unless the Lord intervenes. And we can always pray and trust that that sort of thing will happen, but it's much better if we make those outer-directed controls that we used when the child was younger, that those then become internalized and become their internal set of controls, that they want to do those kinds of things that they know are right to do. And the question is, to what extent are we more inner-directed? And ask yourself the question, um, what is my goal in regard to my work and my career? Is it an outer-directed thing? Is it to use the world standards of what? Making more money, gaining more prestige or wealth or where you live and what you drive? Is that what it's about? It's an outer-directedness. That is something that is set by the world. We may make it an inner goal but it's much better as a Christian to, be, to follow that spirit that the Lord has given us and be inner-directed by the things that he would have us to do and not the ways of the world. Okay, these are the ideas. This is the background, the backdrop for a number of the issues that are dealt with uh, here. Let's pick one to start with. Let's talk about it. Maybe we should, if there are any questions or comments to, uh, to start out. I know I threw a lot of information at you very quickly.
Okay. Um, the comment that I raised more questions than anything. Okay, so what are, what are some of the questions that you started thinking about as a result of some of these issues? Okay, so pick pick one that you just asked, if you don't mind sharing, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, Lily, but if you would like to share one that maybe would open it up for some discussion. Well, I just, I mean, in my life I've often also become more aware of trying to figure out what God's trying to teach me instead of just getting through it, and I appreciate that perspective. That's very important. Okay, yeah. Finding out since I have to go through this situation, whatever it might be, what is it that I can find to enjoy in it? Will that make it more livable? Definitely. Will it make it easier to get through? Yes. And you might even learn something in the process. All the better. Pick a topic and we'll explore the topic based upon some of the issues that, that were raised. Okay, growing the marriage, that's a good one. And that would be one that would apply to a number here. Okay, is there anybody here who has never experienced that stagnation issue? In marriage, yes. Stagnation in marriage, where things seem to be on a plateau. Jason, you haven't, I see you smiling. <laughs> Okay, the issue is what? First of all, it, it, is, it is going to be a challenge, right? It is not going to be something that will come automatically. That there will be tension. Tension between what? Keeping things exactly the way they are and changing them. Growing, adjusting, developing. What do you do? Let's have some ideas as to what you can do to grow a marriage in after 25 years of marriage or 20 years of marriage or 30 years of marriage, whatever it might be during this period of time. Would you say that you've got to have some time to yourselves? Yes, definitely. First and foremost, but does that always happen? No, especially when there are still children in the family. Often their needs take precedence. Now, in most cases, not in every case, but in most cases, at the ages we're talking about, the children would be probably teenagers or pretty close to it. So leaving them at home by themselves for an evening may not be a problem. But what do you do with the time? Do you go out to eat? You could, but I've seen middle-aged couples out to eat, and all they did was eat. 
which, which is uh, ostensibly, I mean, the, the going out to eat should be the vehicle for what? Conversation, talk, review of events of the day, uh, and so on. Discussing long-term goals. Now, what do you do if one partner wants to discuss those and the other one doesn't? So one is, you know, kind of using the, the, the challenge and, and kind of forward-looking. The other partner is saying, no, I don't want to do that. Well, you don't, you don't really know. Uh, you, can, you can put those things off. You can come back to them another time. You can maybe at least agree that you'll eventually, that you will discuss that. And what you should try to do in a situation like that is to pin them down when we can talk about it. Not just say, well, we'll talk about that in the future. You never get around to it. So you try to um, do something that will uh, pin the time down so it can be used for that purpose. Um, other things. Again, we're talking about now, the issue here is creative. See, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that was done before. And you won't know how creative it is in, in, until you try it. Or whether it would be something interesting. What would be wrong with a husband and wife at this point in life taking up a hobby together? Doing something together. The nest is probably emptying. What are you going to do with that additional time? The time that you spend taking care of children and laundering and so on, all of those things are going to diminish because of fewer children in the household. What do you do with that additional time? Can your marriage benefit from that? We know your work can. We know you can put in more hours at the office or in the shop. We know that you could spend more time in church doing this and doing that and the other thing. But what about marriage? all along, you're going to have a hard time now. Okay. It's not impossible to fix it, but I, I mean, several, we're married 27 years ago, and about 10 years ago, probably when our, our first children were getting to be teenagers, I realized, you know, one day we're going to be alone again together. And you sounded like you were kind of scared. Well, I mean, it was no, like frightening. Well, because I had really put my children above my husband, which was wrong, but I didn't realize it at the time until I had this revelation that oh, one day it's just going to be him and I, me again, and I better get to know this person and decide I really like him because I'm going to spend the rest of my life with him when the kids aren't here to distract me. Yeah, and that's interesting. The kids will distract you for about a 20-year period of time. I know it is. I'm just admiring your frankness. <laughs> I, I admire it, too. And we don't mean to put anybody on the spot with that sort of thing, but she's really got a point there. That oftentimes kids and those activities associated with the family can be diversionary tactics that keep us from developing the marital relationship. And you might not know what has happened to your husband during that 20-year period of time. He's out there in the work-a-day world, his career keeps developing, especially if he's in a technical career. There's things that are developing all the time that are changing. And he's with people and he's being challenged on the job and so on and he's probably making more money and continuing to make money and get promoted and so on. And there's that growth and, and those challenges and so on and he may refuse a promotion because it's going to take him out of town and he's got to uproot the family and they want to stay in an area where we have a church. And so there are some limitations. They don't just go wherever the world wants to send you. Again, that's that inner directed as opposed to being outer directed. We decided at least once a year we're going to go away for a weekend. I mean, one or two nights. And we hadn't done that before. We had never left our children. Actually, we won a weekend getaway that I subscribed to in the newspaper. And we won it, and we enjoyed ourselves so much, we decided we're going to make this every year. So every year on our anniversary, we tried to do that. And I mean, if that doesn't work, we're going to do it on our birthdays or you know, make an event of it. And then it, in addition, when we got involved with marriage enrichment, I, I couldn't recommend that more highly. I'm going to plug it again like I did at our forum on Monday because you need to get away and reevaluate your marriage, and that's a very good tool to do that. Okay, thank you. That's a very good tool to do that, and I would encourage, for some of us men, it's hard for us to do that. Um, 
It's hard to get away for that weekend. Um, uh, there are church responsibilities. There are family responsibilities in some cases, work responsibilities at times, and most of us men will hear things about ourselves we probably don't want to hear as a consequence of that kind of discussion. Now, we owe it to our wives to deal with those issues. the relationship of God in the church. And when we have media, mediocre, unhappy marriages, we are, do, we are displeasing God. Okay. Thank you. I just want to say that I, I, I always had a busy husband, but we always tried to somehow manage even with work. If he would go on a business trip, I would go with him. And those trips were very helpful for us. That's how we worked it out. He was busy, he had to go. If we felt that, I was very fortunate because I had my mother, if we felt like I wanna go by myself, then I went by myself. While the children were younger, we would take them along. And that was a good thing from, uh, from the school. They supported us. They said it was a good idea to do that. And that's how we worked uh, uh, along with each other a lot. And it worked very well for us. Thank you. Anyone else would like to comment on growing the marriage? Is that going to be a challenge? Yes. Is it going to be easy? Probably not. And wives may typically be ahead of husbands on that, but not, not necessarily so. I mean, what is the purpose in this? Is the purpose to find out more about the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with after the children and after the job? And uh, it's like I read one time, you know, a retirement. I married him for better or for worse, but not for lunch. He's in the way, you know. Well, how do you get around that? And that's the topic of the, the forum that was on uh, Monday on dealing with that older period of time, but uh, um, marriage. Uh, the, the alternative is a stagnation. The alternative is just business as usual, and it is not satisfying. It is not a glory to God. It is not even healthy. Uh, let's take another issue. I don't want to necessarily prolong this, but let's take one other. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. How about dealing with aging parents and having none of your siblings in town? Okay, dealing with aging parents and having none of your siblings in town. And you're saying that the responsibility pretty much would fall upon you in that case. All of it. And the simple solution would be to do what? Move away. <laughs> Which you're not going to do. I, no, I, I presume. think that would be the most heartbreaking solution. I, I'm sure it was, and I was just being facetious about that. What, what parents in town, she's the only child in town, how to deal with that? I have the opposite problem. I'm the only one out of town. But I remember when my dad has had a stroke, I felt so helpless. And I just went upstairs and went to my knees. I thought, the only thing I can do right now is pray. And then I realized I can support them that way. And I would say to you, you need to tell your siblings what you're struggling with, the ones that are out of town so they can support you in prayer. If they can't physically support you, that's the very least or the very most they can do. And that's more significant than we give it credit for. Okay, thank you. I also think that they should be uh, made aware that they can spell you for a time, relieve you. Um, respite care is very, very important for the caregiver and the aging. Okay, thank you. Other thoughts? It, pardon? Um, it might be going, it's on. I think Jason's back there keeping us in business. Um, okay, a couple of thoughts come to my mind on that issue. Uh, one would be to, uh, I'm not sure whether there are financial issues that relate to this. I suspect there probably are some. I would try to share those or ask that we come to some arrangement for sharing some of that responsibility if that's the case. 
Um, you know, if it's you going over to the house and let's say mowing the lawn, um, you can get a service to do that sort of thing. Costs can be split. Uh, there may be, I mean, I don't see how, you, you, to try to make it work out so it's even and evenly responsible and so on, it's, it's probably never going to work that way. That would be my guess. Does that make it any easier for you? No, it probably makes it harder. And there are probably times when um, other family members like Lily would like to be a part of that process and cannot be because of their own responsibilities and where they're living. What If you were to come up with the ideal solution, what would it be? Maybe you don't want to state it on the microphone here, but I mean, what do you think would be in a typical situation like that, an appropriate way that it should be dealt with? I, I would just like to add, add to that that it's, it is especially difficult when, in our, in our dear sister's case, when they're in the same home. What I'm saying is that they live together. And now it becomes a 24-hour thing. And I think that what we need to do is we need to, uh, and, and that's one of the things I can recommend, is, is for, for her to be able to reach, in, reach out and find in the church family that help that's, that's available if we just allow it. We can't do it all. We can't do it all. We also have to learn that and, and reach out and say, I need help. And the church family I, I believe would be there to help you. I appreciate that. Um, the comment was made at the other forum that Brother Bob had on Monday, and one of the things that was expressed by the folks who were participants was the fact that they don't want to become dependent on their children. That was one of the major themes that came out in that particular portion of discussion. And um, although it's laudable, commendable, to do that, and it's probably expected in some ways, um, either reaching out for help or making it known that either some other arrangement or some help uh, would certainly be appreciated. It will be needed uh, because it is extremely difficult to be expected to bear. See, that, that, that's another issue of this sandwich generation. You often have a reversal of the parent-child roles. Now the child becomes the parent. and and uh, it becomes more complicated because you've got a different relationship to them and yet now you are expected or you have taken on the responsibility of that provision and uh, that is a lot. That is a great deal. Perhaps that could be discussed more privately in terms of some alternatives that you could pursue there. Other thoughts on, on that issue? That's kind of a unique one uh, for this group, I think, and, and it may be best to discuss it, you know, off the record, so to speak. One last thing, just take a moment to talk about church responsibility. Any thoughts on that issue in regard to the challenges associated with middle age. I'll share a few of mine with you. Maybe they'll just give you food for thought. But I think we have to be understanding of brothers who are in the ministry, who have young children, who need to spend time with their families, and to not put unreasonable demands or expectations on them when there are other brothers who are freed of some of those responsibilities by virtue of the empty nest and so on, uh, who could nicely cover in many situations. That it's, yes. You mean, Brother David, that's, it's not humble to say, go ahead, go right uh, I'm, I'm thinking of the the situation where a brother may be torn to be um, 
in a service because he feels he has to be there as opposed to spending time in a family setting where there may be unconverted people in the family and with his own children that the decision and should be appropriate that he spend time with the family in that situation as opposed to simply being present in church. I know that's a controversial kind of issue. I don't think we would probably all agree upon that issue. But I think when we've got brothers who can handle those responsibilities, who won't be taking time away from family or some other, I'll call it responsibilities, or commitments that are family-related, perhaps even church family-related, that we should put an undue burden on them in that regard. I don't know if I'm being clear in that or not. Now, there may be differences of opinion on that. I'm guessing there are, but I think we, we just simply increase the tension in the life of that brother who feels he needs to be two places at the same time and so his heart's neither place. Especially if it's the place where he feels he shouldn't be at that time. The sowing and reaping. How many of the situations that we have in churches today are the result of what was sown in the past, not what's being done today. It's almost irrelevant because it's an outgrowth of what? It's an outgrowth of what's been sown. It's an outgrowth of what's been done in the past. It may be under little control at this point because of previous decisions or issues that came up and how they were dealt with back at the time of sowing, whatever that may have been. stagnation. I think a church service should have something new to it a few times a year. I think our order of service, how it's done, not that you make it unpredictable, but that something be done to renew the service such that people look forward to what's going to take place this morning or this afternoon or this evening or on Wednesday, Thursday night. How do you do that? Well, there are ways that that can be done. And you can do that without, you know, we're not talking about changing everything, right? not calling for anything of that sort. But what do you do? What can we do to make a service more, quote, productive? What's productive? more satisfying to the believers who are present, more valuable for their growth and spiritual development. Are we simply biding our time? We know what's going to happen, what's going to be said, and who's going to do it. Or is it an experience that we look forward to? Is it something that we contribute to that takes our faith and the faith of those who are participating up a notch? in terms of their relationship with the Lord, or in terms of our relationship with one another. How do you avoid stagnation in a church? Now, that's just one possibility of things that, that can be done. And we'd probably have people who'd be almost up in arms about changing the order of the service. But again, by not changing it, we're simply hanging on to something that is comfortable, something that is past-oriented, and not something that is looking forward into the future, not necessarily something that is contributing to people's development. So what we're basically contributing to by keeping everything the same is just simply keeping everything the same, which is to say on a plateau, we're catering to comfort as opposed to spiritual challenge, spiritual growth and development. We're catering to an outer-directed kind of focus as opposed to an inner-directed. 
specifically, uh, as far as church and stagnation and things like that, I believe that uh, what you've, you've got to look at is not necessarily what it looks like, but its content. Uh, a good cook can fix the same meat, same ingredients and serve them in variety of ways and you go through the same thing and it looks like it's a brand new meal. And I believe that that's, that's where ministering brothers' responsibility has a lot to do with that. Uh, and we also have uh, to look at what's happening within the church because getting away from the stagnation will not happen on Sunday. It'll happen during the week. Just like we were talking about, you know, uh, revival throughout this whole week. It's going to happen on a personal basis, individuals. It's not going to make a difference. We can all be going out to the street corners. But if we are not revived with, in our relationship to God, it's going to mean absolutely nothing. So, uh, yeah, there are things that can be done, but I don't think that's going to solve. I, I think the spirituality will solve the stagnation. And that's what we've got to work at. And that, that's why I appreciate the things that we talked about so far, even in, 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 uh, in this and in, in, in throughout the week in the revival. Any other thoughts on that? I, again, simply, I didn't bring it up to be critical. I just said in terms of, you know, a, a creative, I'll call it a creative tension. And they certainly had that in the early church uh, with issues that they had to deal with, too. We've probably reached uh, our stopping point. We've been going pretty close to an hour here. So uh, thank you for coming this afternoon. And the Lord bless you as you deal with the challenges that lie ahead. I don't have any answers for the financial and all those things that were listed in the forum book. You'll have to get those elsewhere.